It's Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk, Jazz Bites with Brian Priest and McCade Pearson. The Jazz regain home court advantage with a 121-111 win over Memphis on Saturday night. Today on Home Court Press, we look at how the Jazz experience allowed them to close the game on a 12-2 run, how Donovan Mitchell looks as he returns from an ankle injury, and the steadying influence of the surgeon, Mike Conley. But first, we pay tribute to the big man in the middle and Utah Jazz legend, Mark Eaton, who tragically passed away Friday evening at the age of 64. Stay tuned as all that and more is coming up next on Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk, Jazz Bites. Welcome into Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk, Jazz Bites. This is your host, Brian Priest, joined, as always, by Mr. Twitter Space himself, McCade Pearson. <laughs> McCade, how you doing, man? We're doing good. The Jazz won. It was a good game. We did try out the Twitter Space thing last night. I think we talked out about 50 people. We went a full hour right after the game. Uh, I think the game ended about 10-10, and we went 10-30 to 11-30, and it was great. So join us. I think we're going to do it on Game 4 as I try and figure out how to do different things with the platform uh, but it was fun and more importantly the jazz win was fun it was everything that i think shows the experience the elevated level of talent that the jazz have over memphis right now and i i really enjoyed it now would i prefer a 25 point blowout so that we don't have to stress over it and take years of off of our lives of course that would be a whole lot better but still a jazz w and yeah that that twitter space thing that was fun i got home from the rsl game and Saw that you were launching that, so I figured oh, I'll jump on, even if I haven't seen the game yet. Let's see how this one goes. And I really liked the just instant reaction nature of it and being able to jump on, talk basketball with a lot of Jazz fans, get the perspective of other people. And I think it was helpful for me as far as planning the podcast today, just because I could understand a little bit better what other people were seeing from the ball game. It's a lot easier to understand when somebody talks through their thought process rather than try and fit it into whatever the character limit is on Twitter, you know? <laughs> They're saying 280 characters isn't enough to make a statement uh, appropriately with valid context and all that fun stuff. Well, I mean, you are talking to a writer. I need a lot of words. <laughs> yeah, no. So it was good. Um, you know, We'll do it again, as I said. But I think we want to start today talking about Mark Eaton because he came up in last night's space a little bit as well. And just some tragic news coming out of Salt Lake um, with the passing of Mark Eaton in his mid-60s. You know, tragic event. He was, mm. you know, at the Jazz game on Wednesday. He was in Chicago on Thursday. Um, I saw somebody was hanging out with him at a food truck on Friday afternoon, just hours before he went on that bike ride. Yeah, and It's just crazy how fast things can happen. Um, that's a life that will surely be missed, both publicly big picture as jazz fans and both individually, which is the amazing person he was to those around him if he had the opportunity to cross paths with him. Yeah, Mark was such a good guy, and every story you hear about him was about what a, a gentle, nice, considerate person he was. I was listening to David Locke's conversation with Thurl Bailey and Phil Johnson this morning on my way into the radio station, and just, you know... I, how good of a person he was. I did have the opportunity to talk with him a couple of times. And the way that Mark Eaton could make you feel like you were the only person in the room when you were having a conversation with him was just incredible. And, you know, we can look at his NBA career. This is a guy who made an all-star game once. He led the league in blocks four different times, was five times all defense, two times defensive player of the year. But 
all the basketball stuff aside, McCade, uh, he, he's just got an incredible story in his life, and he really became a man that was associated with Utah and with the Utah Jazz, and he was a just a respected figure in the community. He was a, a motivational speaker, and we could spend the entire 30 minutes today talking about Mark Eaton, but he was incredible, and I think that the Utah Jazz franchise was lucky to be able to bring him into the fold, have him play with the team for more than a decade, 11 years, and then the the fact that the Utah community just just brought him right in, and he, he was one of us, even though he was from California. I, I think we can all agree that Mark Eaton considered Utah to be his home, and he loved it here, and there's a reason he stayed here for so long after he retired in 1994. Yeah, you know, there's only a few players that are still around. Um, you know, Ronnie Price's wife is from here, and he went to UVU. Thurl Bailey's uh, wife is from Richfield, and he planted here. Uh, and Mark Eaton, and that's pretty much it as far as I'm a Ron Boone um, with the Stars, and he's been around here for 50 years now. Um, shout out to that 50th anniversary of the Stars Championship and Ron Boone. And so, you know, not that we expect every player to stay here for the rest of their lives. That's not what I'm saying. But when it does happen, it is a special connection to, we'll say, the city of Utah to make a joke. Um, and so it's just good to have them around and just be such a vital part of the community and enjoy the time we have with them. I think it's interesting. I'm going to go on a little rant here. I went on the same rant in spaces last night that people live for, you know, 30 years, 60 years, 90 years, whatever it may be. And the most uh, kind things are said about a person the 12 hours after they die. So be kind to people the 12 hours before they die instead of the 12 hours after they die. And just appreciate the kindness we have around them. And go on Twitter and find all those Mark Eaton stories. There's dozens and dozens around from things like, I lived next door to him for 10 years to things like, hey, I saw him at the airport once and I was staring at him. And instead of him being super uncomfortable and awkward about it because he's 7'4", I'm staring at him, he just looked over and he said, hey, kid, keep looking up. That's a good view on life. <laughs> um, <laughs> and as I said, there's dozens of stories on Twitter all around. Go find them. They're very uplifting. Um, but this is a sad, tragic event at the same time. I think that one of my favorite stories that I heard so far came from Thurl Bailey, and it was Mark's ability to diffuse tension and Obviously, he's a man that was seven foot four, two hundred and seventy-five pounds in his playing days, and was just a monster of a human being, and could be pretty intimidating. And Thurl relayed a story how sometimes he would he'd meet people and they would ask how tall he was, and he would tell them in centimeters rather than feet and inches, just to diffuse the tension. And I th- I think that's just one of those things that is indicative of how Mark Eaton could understand any conversation and what was going on in that moment, and he could put everybody at ease. So if you're okay with it, McCade, uh, you know, Mark Eaton at 64 years old tragically passes away. Let's go ahead and take a few seconds of silence here. Thanks for tuning in today. It's season two of Home Court Press with McCade Pearson and Brian Priest as we make our return with season two playoffs edition. Look for our Jazz Bites game recaps after almost every Jazz game and our weekly Wednesday looking at happenings around the league as the playoffs unfold. Home Court Press can be found on any of your major podcatchers, including Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, and on Twitter at homecourt underscore press. And please, if you like what you're hearing, share, rate, and review the show so we can expand our audience. Lastly, give McCade Pearson a follow on Twitter at McCadeP8 
And you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest24. As always, thanks for listening to Home Court Press. Take note. Now, back to the show. Let's move on to this ballgame. So, Jazz end up winning this on 121-111. It was a fun game to watch. I, But I got to tell you, because I was at the RSL game last night, one of the things I think I enjoy the most is when I know that the Jazz have won a game, but I didn't have to watch it live. So I didn't have to go through all of the stresses and the up and down emotions. That whole Grizzlies comeback in the fourth quarter when they took the lead, 198. I would have felt a lot differently about that if I was watching it live as opposed to when I watched it at about 8 o'clock this morning. What was it like on your end? Well, my wife got pretty emotional with it, especially in the third quarter when they were letting up offensive rebounds like crazy. My wife uh, won a state championship playing basketball as a center, and so she gets really annoyed uh, when people let up offensive rebounds, and rightfully so. So there was a stressful moment of, oh my gosh, here we go again, just like Wednesday. Like, sure, we probably pull this out, but this sucks, so we need to be better. Um, and the Jazz were better in the fourth quarter, specifically the last five minutes of the game. You know, you only let up two points on one end, you grab 14 points on the other end with some great plays from Donovan Mitchell. And it was, it was weird because you never felt like you were going to lose this game, but the Grizzlies just keep showing things of why they can win this series, and that's a little more terrifying. So, but at the end of the day, the Jazz are just so talented that it didn't matter, and they pulled up a 2-1 uh, series lead. And It's just a weird emotional thing because you expect to win, so it's more fear than it is excitement that you're going to pull off a playoff win in the road because, let's be yeah. clear, this is a 1-8 matchup, yada, yada, yada. This is a Western Conference playoff series, and you're on the road. Any win on the road in the Western Conference playoffs is a good win. After as defensive as Jazz fans get about the national media not giving them the recognition that they deserve and things like that, which overall as a narrative I think is patently false, but if the Jazz were to go out and lose a 1-8 matchup in the playoffs right now, it would hurt so much worse than what happened last year against Denver. It would be <laughs> it'd be terrible. You mentioned how the Grizzlies keep showing that they they can win this series and they have the ability to piece together some runs to really make this exciting. And I look at it, I agree with you, but I look at it slightly differently. Uh, Going into this one, I thought the coaching matchup was going to be so interesting to watch, and it has proven to be that every step of the way. Uh, Quinn Snyder and Taylor Jenkins basically tied together at the hip for years. Uh, Taylor Jenkins worked underneath Quinn Snyder on his staff with the Austin Toros in the G League. They both worked under Mike Budenholzer in Atlanta. They've known each other for years and years and years, and it shows every game, every adjustment that these guys do know each other so well. They know exactly how they're going to adjust and what they're going to lean on in different moments. And I I just think it's been fascinating to watch the game planning and the machinations of rotation changes, different ways that Quinn Snyder has tried to disrupt the Grizzlies and Ja Morant. Last night they, they made a great adjustment and tried to force Ja right more often than he could get left. He's a lot more natural driving to that strong left hand, and the Jazz were able to take that away, especially later in the ballgame. Taylor Jenkins and his adjustments take advantage of the Jazz over-pursuing defensively at times. I, it's been so much fun for me as just kind of a basketball nerd to watch these two match minds and go at each other, even if it's not guys on the floor. That's been one of the fun wrinkles of this series is the coaching matchup in their backgrounds. Um, and, you know, I think Taylor Jenkins is doing an outstanding job. He's basically taking Joe Ingles out of this series, which I think is huge, and we talked about it a little last night. Um, 
Dylan Brooks looks fantastic. He's having Jaw t- attack the rim and attack Rudy in really creative ways and seeing success. Um, not enough success because Rudy Gobert is a three-time defensive player of the year, but at least success to keep him around and steal a game and maybe steal a second game here soon. And so it has been a very, very fun and thrilling series in terms of that. I've seen some tweets from some national people. They're like, you know, I thought the Jazz Grizzlies series would be boring, but this is one of the most exciting series because these players are all playing well. Everybody on both sides of the ball is playing well. Um, and the coaches are doing their thing at a pretty high level. And it's just been everybody's living up to their potential in this series, um, which is a good thing for the Jazz because they're going to win this series if that happens. But the Grizzlies are playing outstanding, and you got to give them a lot of credit. This was a giant game for both teams. I saw a stat yesterday afternoon in a series tied 1-1. The winner of that game three will win the series at 73% of the time. So just a huge game. It was going to swing the advantage in the series in such a significant way. I mean, 73% of the time that game three winner comes out on top in a seven-game series. And so it's great to see the Jazz be able to get that one. The way that they closed out on a 12-2 run, the Grizzlies took the lead for the first time in the ballgame at 100-98, and the Jazz took their punches and then started throwing haymakers right back at them. And one thing that I did notice late in the ballgame, the last couple minutes, Ja Morant got aggressive. He went to the basket, tried to dunk on Rudy a couple times. Rudy got him once. There was a foul called another time. But... I thought that in that moment, and I want to get your opinion on this, I felt like John Morant kind of got away from the Grizzlies game plan and he tried his aggressiveness actually worked against them because he was he was taking it personally in a way that wasn't going to put them in the best chance to win. Yeah, you know, John Morant's been fantastic this series and there's a lot of similarities between what he's doing right now and what Donovan did his first two years where he's just putting the team on his back and the, he doesn't have enough shooters around him. Um, and so with that comes these amazing performances and wins. And it comes with that some disappointing performances like we saw last night where his numbers might appear decent or good, but there just the impact wasn't there because it just isn't the right game to play at this time in the playoffs. So you got to give Joe a lot of credit, and you got to remember he's a second-year player that isn't quite there yet on the eighth seed, and that's one of the reasons they're going to lose this series in all likelihood is because they're knocking on the door, but they're not quite through the door yet with yep. their young team. Another thing that always stands out to me and I pay close attention to is the last couple minutes of quarters, the first half, and just the momentum shift that can take place at the end of a quarter. And so I took special note of how the Jazz closed last night. They closed the first quarter, outscoring Memphis 8-3. to Going into the end of the first half, Memphis outscores the Jazz 5-2. to so nothing that was huge, but that three-point advantage, I, I think it was a, or it was the end of the first quarter, the three points Memphis scored was a the Anthony Melton three-point shot. In the third quarter, the Jazz close it out eight to five, and then obviously we've mentioned 12 to two run to end this ball game and really put it away. As I was walking out of the game, I, the RSL game last night was when the Grizzlies had taken that lead. And just walking from the press box back to my car, the Jazz went on. I think it was an 8-0 run and were able to really take control of the game once again. And the momentum swings that come in those end-of-quarter situations. And to me, I think those are some of the possessions that show the impact of coaching and play calling, even more so than a, a lot of other sequences in these games. And to see the Jazz... Close three out of four quarters with an advantage in the scoring department. I, I think, again, just speaks to their experience 
and Quinn Snyder's ability to get the best out of his guys in the most important moments of these games. Fourth quarter um, run is huge, and you know it was led by Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Um, Rudy Gobert, I need to look into this more. I think this is just my own bias, and uh, it is not actually a thing. But it feels like Rudy Gobert scores more in the fourth quarter than he does any other quarter. Um, he had six points last night, some big dunks in the fourth quarter. Donovan has ten in the fourth quarter, um, including a couple big shots, uh, three free throws, uh, the three pointer he made, and one. Great stuff from your stars, and it takes stars to win in the playoffs, and that's what the Jazz did. You go home, you mentioned the 12 2 run. Letting up two points in the last four and a half minutes of game, that's a really big deal. You're going to win the game if you let up two points in the last four and a half minutes, and that was because Rudy Gobert shut down the rim. Um, and on the flip side of that, Donovan Mitchell getting to the rim, hitting his threes, all that fun stuff is a big reason the offense was able to score those points, and that's how you end up with a 10 point victory in a game like that. Yeah, on that note, McKay, so you're saying you, th- you feel like Rudy's scoring more points in the fourth quarter, and at least in this three games so far in the playoff series, that is definitely the case. Rudy scored 47 points total through three games. 22 of those have come in fourth quarters. So, yeah, at least the thing this series, I mean, that's 46, 47% of his points right there. So, um, And that's a huge thing for the offense. Donovan Mitchell doesn't get to the rim without Rudy Gobert's dunks and gravity and whatnot. So, Gobert's offensibility, especially on offensive rebounding opportunities, um, is so important to the Jazz in the clutch. And, you know, we can sit here and make fun of Don Mitchell's missing shots late in the fourth quarter, but a good chunk of those end up in Rudy Dunks that are just kind of weird, quirky passes, as we like to say. So great stuff from the two stars. And you know what? We're not even mentioning the third all-star the Jazz had, Mike Conley, who finished with 27 points and 7 of 10 shooting from three. And that's a big reason the Jazz won this game, because Conley was just terrific. Yeah, Conley, 27 points, 8 assists, 6 rebounds, and we like to call him Mountain Mike here in Utah. Can we start calling him the surgeon? He's just slicing this Grizzlies defense open. Yeah, he's terrible. I mean, you know, the whole cliche of, oh, I can't remember the exact quote. Maybe you know it off the top of your head. But basically, if you live long enough, you become the villain. Yeah, and uh, Mike yeah, yeah. hit on that in his post-game interview last night where he's like, well, I guess I've lived long enough to become the Memphis villain at this point. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> um, so, yeah, great stuff from Mike, just tearing the Grizzlies apart in every which way. It's fun. I was watching the game last night after I got home, and I was thinking to myself how difficult it would be to be a Memphis fan and be on the other side of this. Obviously, as a Jazz fan, we've got Mike Connolly. We got him as an all-star. We have him in the playoffs, and we get to benefit from the greatness that he's showed through these three games. But if you're Memphis, you're looking at this one. We've had a couple Memphis guests on the show in the last week, and you can just tell that it eats away at them. They want the best for Mike Connolly because it's impossible not to love the man. But their favorite team is playing against their favorite player, and it's just like it's almost enough to make their heads explode sometimes. Yeah, you know, I can't really relate to that. I mean, the Jazz, I guess, had Derek Fisher, but that was a completely different scenario when he came back for the Lakers. There was full <laughs> but hatred there, and I'm not sure if the Jazz really played anyone else in a playoff series that had been on the Jazz before. Um, I know growing up, me being born in 1997 and being a diehard Packers fan, uh, Packers versus Vikings with Brett Favre was there was really, really tough. But that was just a couple regular season games. So it mattered because, you know, I won 16 games in a football season, but it didn't, like, eat at me for two weeks in a seven-game playoff series. So I don't know if there's anything I can relate to that, how hard that would be to, you know, cheer against John Stockton or Carl Malone or <laughs> even Derrick Williams or Boozer in a play against them in a playoff series. So good for them to try and figure that out because Conley looks great and they don't have Mike Conley anymore. I just feel like therapists are going to be able to get a lot of extra work <laughs> in Memphis after this series. Yeah. Let's talk about Donovan Mitchell. Second game back from that ankle injury where he missed a handful of games. 
in my eyes, it's pretty clear he does look hampered. He doesn't look like he's 100%, and part of that is the ankle injury, and I think another part of it is just being in game shape and coming back to the high-intensity environment of the playoffs is a really difficult transition. He finishes with 29 points last night, scores 20 in the second half, five assists, two rebounds. What I really liked about his game last night, he had four assists in the first quarter, and that was after he didn't get a single assist in game two. So it was nice to see that playmaking coming back a little bit, Donovan being able to look for other guys. And honestly, it did surprise me in game two because you're coming back. His primary role is as a scorer on this team, and so obviously he's going to be looking for a shot. But it's great to see that quick adjustment now in game three where he starts looking for the pass a little bit more. I've got an interesting number here for you, McCade, and I want you to take a guess and see if you can pick the players associated with this one. So... After Donovan's 20 points in the second half last night, this is from ESPN Stats and Info, Donovan's averaging 27.3 points per game through his first 25 career playoff games. There are three active players in the league that averaged more than 27.3 in their first 25 games. Can you give me all three? Two of them will be probably Uh, pretty easy. LeBron and KD. Yep. Obviously. And there's a third 27 points over their first 25 games. Yep. I don't think it's Steph. Nope. Hold that thought. Come back to me at the end of the show. Let's talk <laughs> for a few more minutes. I'll keep it in the back of my head. We'll finish off with that. Okay, perfect. So, but what did you see from Donovan? What gives you hope? Where do you think he stands as far as that injury? If you had to put a percentage on it, how healthy do you think he is? And is the fact that this series now is going to shift to every other day, he's going to be getting a little bit less rest. How much of an impact is that going to have? Yeah, I think it's probably 80-85%. I think mostly one of the places he's struggling a little bit is Quinn's offensive system is hard, and it's a rhythm offense. And when you don't play Quinn's offensive system for a month, then you know it can be kind of hard to jump back into that. So I just you know, always start a little slow each year and maybe have some struggles after the All-Star break and that kind of thing. So that's the big thing. We mentioned the zero assist, and then he follows it up with four in the first quarter on his way to five in the game. Um, but I thought he looked really good, especially in the first quarter. Uh, you know, we talk about the go-bear minutes a lot and the non-go-bear minutes a lot and how favors minutes just need to be a net neutral. Um, he finishes at a negative three this game, I believe. Um, and a big reason for that is because of Donovan's playmaking in the first quarter where he hit Royce O'Neal for a couple of threes right there at the beginning of the game. Royce knocked him down, props to Royce. And those threes really kept the offense afloat while Rudy was on the bench and was a big reason the Jazz built that 10-15 point lead throughout most of the game. So I think Donovan's fine. I just think he needs to continue to settle down and continue to get back in the flow. Uh, continue to rehab that ankle for the next two months throughout the entire playoffs. It's always going to be in the back of our head. But I think, all things considered, he's fine. I mean, a 9-for-23 performance for 29 points, getting a couple three-point attempt fouls, a couple and ones, a couple uh, in the bonus non-shooting fouls, which are super valuable. Um, that was a pretty stereotypical Donovan Mitchell playoff game. I think that Donovan learned a lot while he sat those games and was able to spend some more time with the coaching staff, probably spent some more time watching film, and the way that he's been taking advantage of the Grizzlies' proclivities defensively. Uh, Dylan Brooks is a great example, and the way Dylan Brooks defends the, the screen and roll is something that Donovan is taking advantage of, his aggressiveness. He's gotten, is it, six shooting fouls on Dylan Brooks in the last two games. I believe that's the number. And it's Locke has talked about this one a lot. It's, it's attributed to that film study that Donovan has done over his time off 
I, I see the growth. While yesterday wasn't a very efficient day for him, he finishes 9 of 23 from the field, only went 2 of 10 from the three-point line, hit a couple really big threes, but he also got to the free-throw line 11 times, and that's what gets me the most excited is I did have some concerns with him coming back from the ankle about would he be willing to get off of the floor in the paint and draw fouls, and I don't see a fear or tentativeness from him right now. And so the fact that he could score 29 points when he only goes 9 of 23 from the field, I think is great for Jazz fans. I think he's only going to continue to feel better and better on that ankle as the games go along. And let's be honest, it's been a long season. It's been a compacted schedule of 72 games. Now we're into the playoffs. There's nobody that's healthy. There's nobody that's 100% right now. So Donovan at 80-85% is still going to be better than almost everybody else in the league. His 29 points last night, he was the highest scoring player in that ball game, and I think it just speaks volumes to how he continues to grow as a player and learn that even when you don't have your fastball, you still need to be able to go out and throw strikes, if I'm going to make a baseball reference. No, exactly. And so, uh, you know, looking forward to the rest of this series. I think last night's win was huge, not only because you're up 2-1, obviously, but the Grizzlies suck to play against. They're so physical. We've talked about that a ton, that if the Jazz want two days, four days, five days off between this series and the Mavericks-Clippers series, they need to close this series out in five uh, to get them that rest, uh, specifically for Don Mitchell's ankle, uh, Rudy Gobert, Mike Conley, just in general soreness and bruises and all that fun stuff and just you know some time to prepare and recap and watch game six and seven and all that fun stuff of the other series so i think it's really important for the jazz title hopes to close this out in five. Oh yeah um and i was thinking this is going to go six games but with the win last night if you can keep up the urgency tomorrow you're in pretty good shape to close this out in five and you know you need the urgency tomorrow but there's no pressure on tomorrow if you go out and you lose tomorrow not the end of the world you're still 2-2 coming home to utah but memphis is really far out there and i do not want to fight back out on memphis on tuesday just to come home on thursday so hopefully we can avoid that and uh just take care of business the next two games so i'd like to see some urgency in the jazz close out in five um because you know tomorrow's game all urgency no pressure it's a good place to be I think the biggest difference in the Jazz loss in Game 1 and their two wins are the fact that they shot 25% from three in Game 1, and they've shot just under 49% and 44% in the preceding two games. As long as the Jazz can get that three-point shot to fall, they're going to get open looks by the nature of their offense. They've got great shooters, and it's just a matter of knocking them down. I I don't even really want to discuss the possibility of losing on Monday night because I just— I truly see this Jazz team as superior to the Memphis Grizzlies. I envisioned this being a five-game series. I've stuck by that prediction, even with Memphis winning game one. And I don't see any reason to change that. I thought the Jazz would win in five. I thought that there would be four very close games. And I thought that the Jazz would get one blowout. We haven't seen the blowout yet. So hopefully it's still coming. I have expectations for this Jazz team that they're still going to be a championship contender. I love what we're seeing. So they're going to be back on the floor. We've got, like we said, one day off now between games for the rest of the series, probably for the most part the rest of the playoffs. So Monday night, still in Memphis. It's going to be 7.30 on TNT. What's your number one key to that game for a Jazz win? Uh, just doing what you're doing. It's Rudy Gobert playing defense, and it's knocking down your threes, and it's you know uh, getting the opponent in foul trouble. It's not a ref thing. That's just the Grizzlies foul a lot, and the Jazz can take advantage of that with how Rudy Gobert just dominates the rim and drawing fouls there. Um, you're the one, so you just do what you do and 
dare the Grizzlies to beat you, I don't think they can. I thought you were a numbers guy. That was a lot more than one key. <laughs> one key. Make your shots. Score more than the opponent. Yes. <laughs> and then you have Game 5 back here in Utah on Wednesday. They did announce that's the NBA TV game, and rightfully so. No surprise. The Grizzlies, I mean, the Mavericks Clippers series is fantastic, so I get why that's on TNT. The uh, Jazz Grizzlies game should be at 7 o'clock, but they haven't officially announced the time just in case Washington forces a Game 5, and they'll have to have that uh, 76ers-Wizards game be a doubleheader on NBA TV. But if the 76ers close out their sweep, then there's nothing constraining the Jazz from just having a normal 7 o'clock game. Before we wrap this one up, did you have a chance to think about it? Donovan averaging 27.3 points per game in his first 25 career playoff games. Three active players have a better mark than that. You already guessed LeBron and KD correctly. I give you five seconds for the third guy. I don't think it's AD. I don't think it's Dame. I don't think it's Jokic for sure. I'm going to go with Joel Embiid. Is that right? It's Anthony Davis. Is it Anthony Davis? It is Anthony Davis. I don't like Anthony Davis. you so got to think about those that. New Orleans series against Portland a couple years in a row. There was nobody else on that Pelicans team to score. It makes yeah, sense that it would be AD. Yeah, I knew he was up there. I just didn't think. I didn't realize he scored that much last year, and that was a big chunk of his playoff games. Um, even though he shot the lights out last year, now he's no longer shooting the lights out. So good for Anthony Davis and LeBron. Just goes to show how tough it's going to be to beat the Lakers. But they're on the other side of the bracket. We don't have to worry about that until you get through round two. So. Hopefully, Jazz close this one out. We can focus on round two. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter. You can find me at McCadepa. That's M C C A D E P A. And like we mentioned at the beginning, I think we're going to do an hour or so, maybe a little less of spaces on Twitter tomorrow night after the game. Yeah, make sure to follow McCade. Jump on for that spaces uh, instant reaction conversation. That'll be Monday night after game four. You can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest24. That's at B P R E E C E 24 and Home Court Press at Home Court underscore Press. Share, rate, review the show if you like what you're hearing. If you don't like what you're hearing, it's okay. You don't have to listen to us. I get it. But if you do like it, five stars. Five stars really help us get out there. Take note.